0: The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Meet Kim Charlson, the newly elected president of the American Council of the Blind and the first woman to hold that office. And Lynn Cooper brings us part two of The Care and Feeding of Human Mirrors. Welcome to ACB Reports for August 2013. Last month, Lynn Cooper began a discussion of the care and feeding of human mirrors. As the segment drew to a close, she reminded us that we often need several human mirrors for different areas of our lives, home, work, social engagements, etc., This month, just in time for last-minute back-to-school shopping, Lynn continues her tips designed to help us cultivate good human mirrors for any situation.
1: Another big tip is do not take it personally. Now, that sounds goofy. Don't take it personally. Of course, they're talking about our bodies or they're talking about our lives. We are all masterpieces in the process of being finished. So often, I believe, we'll be served best by crawling up on the easel for a touch-up, just like a piece of art. And I also think when we know better, we can do better. When I started out, I started videoing my speeches and, oh, gulp, it was incredibly difficult. It's always tough for people. Usually it's really tough for people to listen to themselves on tape or to see themselves on video. But that is the way we can truly regain the power and understand how am I presenting myself Where am I having problems? We can ask people to give us the positive. I think for people who are going to be human mirrors, that's very, very important, to sandwich the negative that we see or the criticism with the positive. So please, as best as possible, do not take it personally. Separate yourself as best you can and consider that you are a masterpiece. You're just having a touch-up. And don't be afraid to ask all of the human candidates, to feel free to say no. We need to honor our human mirrors just as we are expecting our human mirrors to honor us. So if there is a situation where you're asking for feedback and a human mirror doesn't feel comfortable, please honor that. Another tip is record or write the information that you've received for future reference human mirrors are all different i have friends and once again having a visual impairment does not mean anything as far as having a human mirror it means something different in as your needs and how you will use that information but every human being goes through life getting feedback from friends and trusted individuals so please don't feel that you are the only group who is using a human mirror as i shared earlier with my girlfriend everyone. This is a give and take. We go back and forth, candle, mirror, mirror, candle, all day, every day. Once again, recording or writing the information will help you honor the time because that person who is your human mirror may be working or managing a family, whatever they're doing, they may not be able to be contacted 24-7. So we really have to make sure that the type of care that you give to your human mirror includes honoring their schedule. Maybe they only have after work to offer you. Another tip is ask for detailed, concrete, specific mirroring, specific feedback. Over-generalized feedback is fine, but specifics can be worked on. So if somebody says, well, you look nice, well, what do you mean by that? Do my shoes work with the jacket? Does my skirt work with the blouse? Is it clean? Is it pressed? Is it appropriate? Is it on target with what I'm looking for? How does my resume? We have to be very, very, very aware that overgeneralized feedback really is not going to help us. And remember, this is not somebody that we're looking to stroke our ego. If used properly, a human mirror is really going to be a very strategic tool. Another tip is Close each human mirror interaction with a sincere thank you. Now, that may be an obvious, but I've seen that forgotten. Action steps should be given with time frames. I think deadlines are really important. If you have a shopping list, if you need alterations, if you don't know where to go for shopping or don't know where to go for alterations on your clothing, ask your friend or your colleague, the human mirror, to help you Find such resources. Another tip is to honor the human mirror's time. And once again, I think I mentioned something similar earlier. Every second we give one another is a gift. So be respectful of boundaries. This is a very important part of caring for a human mirror. 30 minutes means 30 minutes. 4 p.m. is 4 p.m. We have to really honor the fact that what they are doing is worth respecting and is valuable. And is the human mirror able to continue in this capacity? Never a bad idea. You know, maybe after every session say, are you feeling comfortable? Can we continue in this? Is it working for you? And then schedule the next session if possible. Do not expect one human mirror to do it all. As I said earlier, enlist a coworker for work issues Maybe one of your human mirrors can shop, but the other one is really best at going over your wardrobe or going over your resume or talking about your speech issues or personality issues or what have you. And another tip is realize that this does not happen overnight. A human mirror deals with some very vulnerable personal issues, some more than others. Maybe the person at work isn't going to be dealing with personal issues that a loved one or a relative would, but this is often a relationship that takes time to develop. And if you are not fully clear on what was said and offered, ask for clarification. Don't feel bad about asking for clarification. Most people should be comfortable and at ease explaining something if you didn't understand it. Ask the human mirror to identify some positives. I think that's a really good place to start. It's a boon for our self-esteem, and it also offers a tangible benchmark for moving forward. And finally, ask your human ears to make the comments, feedback, etc., as accessible as possible. And here's an opportunity to educate without clinking people over the head, but you get a chance to say, no, you can't point to what you think I should wear, or no, sharing with me that I should wear pink instead of black, go further. Let's talk about that. So it really is a great opportunity to educate and to educate others in diverse communications. So what we're looking at is we're complimenting, we're coaching and we're encouraging and this is advice to the human mirror themselves. Be sincere and honest, avoid blame and condescension. They're in a trusted, precious and powerful position as someone's human mirror with potentially great vulnerability be kind honest and if you do not wish to continue in this role do say so it's really really important because you've heard mike and myself over the years talk about minding the gaps the gestures appearance posture speech and space well just like those few inches between the uh, in the space between the train and the platform can be dangerous if we miss it missing our marks in life can damage our career and interpersonal opportunities. So the care and feeding of your human mirror is vastly important. It is knowledge. Knowledge is light and power, and it offers us control, and it offers us more of an ability to navigate this beautiful, wonderful self of ours through life effectively, richly, and wonderfully. It really is a wonderful, wonderful relationship that we can have with our human mirrors. We just need to be realistic. We need to be understanding that we are asking people for time. We need to be specific, and we need to know that we are moving forward toward our goals and toward our dreams. I thank you for listening, and go on and continue to carefully Pay attention to and feed your human mirror.
0: Visit Lynn at our website, LynnCooper.us. That's L-Y-N-N-C-O-O-P-E-R.us. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. Ladies and gentlemen, the name of Kim Charlson has been placed in nomination for the Office of President. Are there any other nominations? Mr.
1: President, Jay Bader from Florida. Jay. On behalf of all of us in attendance and the many around the world, I move that nominations be closed and that Kim Charlson be voted by acclamation.
0: A motion and numerous seconds. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed. Kim Charlson will be the 11th ACB president and the first woman. On Thursday, July 11th, Kim Charlson of Watertown, Massachusetts, was unanimously elected president of the American Council of the Blind She joins us now to discuss her involvement in the American Council of the Blind and some of her goals for the organization. You are the 11th president of the American Council of the Blind and the first woman president, which in a way is somewhat surprising because there have been women involved in the organization since the beginning. Tell us about your beginnings in ACB and how that involvement ultimately led to your being president.
2: You're absolutely right that many of the founders of ACB were strong women, and I think it was kind of a sign of the times that we didn't see women rising to high leadership for quite some time in the organization. It is surprising that it took the 11th president to have a woman be president, but I'm absolutely thrilled to be in the position and looking forward to working with so many people to get the work of ACB continuing to move forward. My first exposure actually to the American Council of the Blind was in 1972 at the Portland, Oregon Convention. I was 14 years old and I was on a panel at the ACB Convention about people who had done an interesting job. The job that I had done when I was 14 was I served as the first blind person to work at the Oregon State Senate as a page. I was responsible for delivering messages and documents and bills and running all over the building. And that was my first exposure, obviously not my last because in my community as I was going to high school. I connected with another strong female leader in our organization, Carol McCarroll. She was my teacher in junior high, and she was certainly a mentor to me. And I got involved in the local chapter of the Oregon Council of the Blind. And I also organized a student group in Oregon and a guide dog user group in Oregon after I got a guide dog there. Then in the mid-1980s, I went to graduate school, got my master's degree in library science, and then eventually moved to Massachusetts, where I've been working at the Perkins School for the Blind at the Braille and Talking Book Library. I'm now the director of the Braille and Talking Book Library, and I've been doing that for the last 12 years. In Massachusetts, I also served as affiliate president here of the Bay State Council of the Blind and I had served as president of the Braille Revival League and um, Guide Dog Users, Incorporated. I also had opportunities to work with the Board of Publications. I was an elected member of the Board of Publications in the mid-1990s up to about 2001, and I served for two years as the chair of the Board of Publications. And since 2007, I've been serving as first vice president on the board of directors. And I've had a number of responsibilities in that role as well.
0: So you've got this strong involvement with the American Council of the Blind behind you, which has to give you a good foundation for the important, busy, and obviously daunting task of being the president. When you realized this was really going to occur, what was your thought?
2: it never occurred to me that i would be unanimously voted in as president of the american council of the blind and that was so awesome to me to have just this amazing outpouring of support and excitement and encouragement and it's been very motivating and inspiring to me i've heard from people all over the country phone calls emails i've received dozens of emails from people internationally as well about my election to the office of president of ACB. I was just amazed at some of the emails I've received from folks about how excited they are and, and their willingness to serve and help in the organization. And that's really so important because the work of ACB isn't done by one person. It's done by hundreds of people working on over 40 different committees that we have within the American Council of the Blind to get the work done. Everything from our fundraising committees to our public relations committees and our advocacy and constitution and bylaws, we have all sorts of committees that do the important work of the organization. And right now I'm beginning to work on the process of reappointing and appointing people to serve on committees because that's one of the prescribed constitutional responsibilities of a newly elected president is to appoint committees and establish that infrastructure that is the support for the organization. Most of um, the next several weeks will be involved in making those appointments and talking to people and making sure that We get some opportunities for new people to begin to serve and learn how to work within the committee structure and grow within the organization and promote leadership and all the things that we really need to do to continue to be a growing, vibrant organization.
0: Having had the advantage of working with most of the members of the board that you'll be working with now and also as serving as vice president and working closely with uh, the former president, Mitch Pomerantz, you have a lot of knowledge about the organization's position on various issues and where we are in terms of making certain things become reality. So with all of that, have you had a chance to prioritize overall goals for the organization?
2: Right now, I'm kind of involved in just creating that infrastructure for ACB to make sure that it's got that solid base to move forward with all the initiatives that we're involved with. But looking at the broader advocacy agenda and where we're going to go, there are several issues that I think are going to be very pivotal for the next couple years, one of them being the Ann Sullivan-Macy Act, The American Foundation for the Blind has really taken the leadership role on that, but it's a very important piece of draft legislation that ACB would very much like to see be introduced to strengthen the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act to ensure that children, you know, age 3 to 22 have the kinds of services that they need in the public school setting to be successful as blind people when they grow up. We're hearing so many stories all across the country of kids just not getting the kinds of support services they need and not getting the kinds of skills they need and then moving on into rehab and not being in a position to be ready to get a job or go on to college, so we really want to see some teeth put into the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and we're hoping to do that through the Ann Sullivan Macy Act.
0: Anne Sullivan Macy, of course, the legendary teacher of Helen Keller, and the Act is obviously of importance to people who are blind, but other disabilities as well.
2: Yes, it's basically sensory disabilities. So it's the deaf community and the blindness community as well are very interested in the draft legislation.
0: You Mm -hmm. have served as a representative to the Braille Authority of North America for ACB and various other Braille projects in your capacity as president and member of Mm -hmm. the Braille Revival League. And I know we could talk about it all day, but give us the short version of where you see Braille now where it is and where it needs to go to be returned to the position it needs to have in the education of blind students in particular.
2: Well, you're absolutely right. We could talk about Braille all day. There's been some important developments in probably the last um, nine months in the area of Braille, and one of those being a decision that was made by the Braille Authority of North America that the United States will adopt the Unified English Braille code as its code for Braille in the future. Now, what that really means is BANA has made the decision that the U.S. will use Unified English Braille, but we have not set a date yet for when that's going to happen because there's some things that have to happen first in the whole planning process. We have to make sure that Braille readers who know Braille today understand some of the symbols changes. We're not changing the alphabet and we're not changing punctuation. There's a few new symbols and then there's some symbols that are going to go away. Some things like two and into and o'clock and A-T-I-O-N. Those are just some examples. And Braille readers are going, oh, but I like those symbols. Well, Some of the problem and the reason that we had to take a look at Unified English Braille has to do with issues surrounding forward and back translation with the assistive technology that so many of us use with um, refreshable Braille displays and that students are using in the classroom to print out homework for their teachers. And there's just some quirky things about the current Braille code that just give devices like that a bit of a hard time and I'm, they print I'm, things out that I'm look I'm sitting kind here of smiling. <laughs> I'm sitting
0: here smiling because the first time I hooked a Braille and Speak up to a printer, uh, you don't even want to know what it looked like coming out. <laughs>
2: exactly. So it didn't look like what you would have wanted your homework to look like when you turned it into your teacher. So some of the changes in the Unified English Braille Code will certainly help to make those kind of devices be able to print out and what we call reverse translate. It's also trying to streamline the Braille Code because there's been a lot of criticisms about Braille in the past that it's complicated to learn, it's difficult to teach it to children, but it's always difficult to teach it to teachers. And if the teachers aren't learning it, then they're not going to be inclined to teach it very well. So it's going to simplify the rules to understand the code and make it easier for the devices. And that's a simplification. But what's going to happen over the course of the next year to year and a half is that BANA is going to start developing plans and creating a timeline for things like updating the instruction manual for braille transcribers and working with university programs to make sure that the textbooks that are used by teachers of the visually impaired in those programs get updated to teach the teachers the new braille code and to prepare materials for braille readers so that they will understand what the changes are going to be in the code and give them opportunities to read materials written in Unified English Braille so that they will see that it really isn't much different to read Unified English Braille than it was to read the Braille they read today. And really what we've been talking about for several years is a real decline in Braille usage around the country. The press picks up stories, we hear this often, braille is obsolete, braille is irrelevant. People use technology to do everything. And I think any one of us who use braille on a regular basis in our jobs, at our homes, knows that braille is not irrelevant and that we have to do everything we possibly can to change that perception that it's old school you know, we don't need Braille anymore. We can just do everything with an iPhone or an iPad. I just don't think my iPad is going to tell me how to make meatloaf when I'm trying to look up my recipe, you know. There's just some things that are tried and true that have been so successful with Braille. Especially, you know, when you're talking about children having the opportunity to learn to read, to write, to spell, to know their punctuation, all those things are critical for the children to really have the opportunity to learn Braille and newly blind adults as well. That's definitely an issue that's really important in ACB passed a resolution last year that I really want to see become one of our priorities, and that is advocating for Braille on product packaging and over-the-counter pharmaceuticals. This is already done in Europe. They have a mandate throughout the whole European Union that Um, Grocery products and pharmaceutical products, you know, toothpaste and things like that in a pharmacy, not prescription medications, but over-the-counter have the name of the medication or the drug or the product and the quantity or the milligrams or that sort of thing written in Braille. And if Braille was on stuff that we bought at the grocery store, it would be so much more relevant for everyday life. And people wouldn't be saying, oh, why do we need Braille? So I'm really hoping to advocate for this resolution to be one of ACB's priorities in doing our work. If the European Union and all the countries in the EU can make this work, there's no reason that the United States can't make Braille on packaging work.
0: You're listening to ACB Reports from the American Council of the Blind. Our guest is ACB President Kim Charlson advocacy for people with low vision is also an important part of the organization.
2: Just last week, I am so happy that we have a very strong advocate. Um, Chris Bell from Minnesota is um, a member of our Environmental Access Committee, and he represents ACB on ANSI, which is the American National Standards Institute, and he spent most of his week advocating for large print and readability for signage and for the, the markings that you see on steps to show the contrast when there's stairs for low vision folks. Um, there was an effort to roll back some of those requirements, and he was a real champion along with some others on ANSI to make sure that those low vision standards stay in effect and there'll be a public comment period coming out later this year where ACB will be involved and make sure we get our Low Vision um, affiliate, the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, to get involved and our members with Low Vision to say how important signage guidelines and the markings on steps are for their mobility. So every time you turn around, it seems like there's an issue that we have to be involved with, and it really reinforces the importance of why we need an organization like the American Council of the Blind to advocate on all these different issues and to bring together the expertise to make sure that we stay on top of all these things.
0: As we conclude this first of what we hope will be many visits, how do people contact you as president?
2: I certainly want to encourage anyone who would like to share thoughts with me to connect with me, and I'm going to provide an email address and a telephone number so that um, people can feel free to communicate with me, because I think that's part of being president of an organization is to be available. And, you know, you may not get a call back in five minutes, but you'll get on my radar, and I will definitely get back in touch. So email is Kim, K-I-M, Charlson, all one word, k-i-m-c-h-a-r-l-s-o-n at a-c-b-dot-o-r-g and a phone number is 617-501-5853 and people can feel free to get in touch with me.
0: Kim Charlson, newly elected president of the American Council of the Blind, was recorded on July 22nd.